Hi, this is Barry Schneier, and when I'm not listening to music by Bruce or photographing Bruce, I want to hear what other people think about Bruce. So I listen to Set Lusting Bruce. And welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. And joining me today is a fellow Central, central Time person. Um, I cannot tell you how happy I am because normally I'm working with time zones, whether it's the West Coast, East Coast, UK, Australia. And this one, Ryan is joining me like, yeah, I'm on the same time zone as you. Oh, how easy. So welcome to the show, Ryan. Well, thank you for having me, Jesse. I really appreciate it. You and I met first time back in Pittsburgh, I believe, at the uh, River uh, Tour opener. And I've uh, been looking forward to it ever since. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was nice to meet you there and um, looking forward to talking to you. Uh, tell us a little about yourself. Um, my name is Ryan Hillegas. Um, I'm a frequent caller into uh, E Street Nation with Dave Marsh and uh, Wild and the Innocent with Jim Rotolo on E Street Radio. I uh, live in northern Illinois, originally grew up in the St. Louis area, and um, been living up here for about 15 years, 20 years, I guess. Um, so I've moved around a lot within the state, but... Uh, um, let's see, I'm 44 years old, or I'll be 44 here in a couple days. My birthday's on Sunday, um, and um, just love music in general, uh, love going to concerts, uh, love a lot of different musicians and music styles, and uh, especially Bruce. Bruce is probably my favorite uh, performer and artist. Okay. Um, so, did you, con are you a sports fan? Oh yeah, I'm a I'm a huge baseball fan. Baseball is really the only sport, the professional sport that I follow. And uh, so I'm a huge Cardinals fan, being I, from that area. I was gonna say, did you uh, did you convert to uh, Cubs when you moved oh. to Chicago, or you stayed loyal if, to your Cardinals? If if you start out as one or the other, you got to stay it no matter where you move. So yes. if you're a lifelong Cardinals fan, that's it. And if you're a lifelong Cubs fan, you know that that's it. You don't make that switch from Cubs to Cardinals. Yeah, I, I know. I have a um, I I worked with a guy that was from Chicago, Eddie, um, huge Cubs fan, and was just um, you know talking about the Cardinals being the evil empire. That you know he just was just when uh, the Cardinals played. And broke our heart a few years ago for as a Ranger fan. Um, sad story or funny story. A um, few years ago, my wife and I drove up to St. Louis. There was going to be a um, Angels Envy bourbon tasting event. And it was a dinner. And my wife and I said, what the heck? You know what? Let's just drive. Let's just get. We've never been to St. Louis. That'll be fun. And so we did. We drove from Dallas up there, and um, and we did the touristy thing. So we're up in the Ark, and you could just see the St. Louis Stadium. And it was just like that was a year or two after the World Series Game 6. And I was like, too soon, too soon, <laughs> still too soon. 
Well, I, by being a huge baseball fan, I mean, forget the Cardinals being in it. I mean, that was just one of the – that game six was one of the best baseball games I've ever witnessed in my lifetime and uh, just an incredible series, so I can understand your pain. Yeah, um, my son and I are watching, and uh, Hamilton comes up, and I'm like, you know what? Josh, just hit a home run and let's win this thing. And he did, you know, into extra innings. You're like, oh, this is I know, we're going crazy. And then uh, when Nelly Cruz didn't catch the uh, ball, we were like, oh, dang it. And uh, and we knew we were going to lose game seven. We just knew. We were like, there's no way you get that, that kind of momentum. And it was just uh, – we always talk about that the previous year um, – we felt like American League champions when we went to San Francisco, but the next year when we went to St. Louis, we felt like World Series losers. Um, mm. You know, and there is that difference, right? That um, it was just so great to be there, and then since then, nothing. So, but we aren't here to talk baseball, though that would be fun to do. We are here to talk a little Bruce. Um, All right. Yeah. So Ryan, talk about growing up. Um, you said you spent a lot of time in Chicago. What kind of music did your family listen to? Um, I was very fortunate. My, uh, I was born in 74. I was very fortunate that I had two great parents uh, that turned me on to different different musical styles, that, you know, just by what they were listening to in their cars when we drove around. Um, I also had an older brother that was, he's uh, 10 years older than me. So I had my parents who were turning me on to, you know, stuff they listened to from their youth, like, you know, Elvis Presley, of course, Chuck Berry, Jackie Wilson, um, you know, Carl Perkins, Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, my mom loved Neil Diamond, you know, kind of that kind of uh, singer-songwriter, uh, musicians, and then my older brother. So I had, you know, my parents doing one set of music, and then my older brother, he would drive me and my other brother around quite a bit around town, just cruising around, and he uh, introduced me to Bruce. He, that was uh, where I got that from. Uh, but he'd also listen to the police and ZZ Top and, you know, a lot of that kind of music from that time. So I was very fortunate to have the family members that I had and their love of music. And my brother and my parents took me to my first concerts when I was about 10 years old and um, been loving concerts ever since. And I kind of forged off on my own when I went into college. I started listening to a lot of jazz, Miles Davis, Coltrane, the standard stuff, Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong. Um, classic jazz, country, started getting into singer-songwriters like John Prine and Dylan. And um, I would say throughout my, you know, since I was 10 years old, probably the biggest artists that I followed from one album to the next have been Bruce, uh, John Mellencamp, James McMurtry, um, Pearl Jam. So a lot of different kinds of music. But, uh, again, I think a lot of the music that we all love is, people come from you know our influences of family and friends that we had when we were growing up yeah i think so too that's a big um a big um factor on the podcast and we talk a lot about siblings on the show and how um if you're the oldest you kind of are the influencer um, and if you're younger, you're influenced by your big brother or big sister, sometimes to the positive. In other words, you want to listen to the same stuff they do. And other times 
kind of as a rebel, you're like, I, I don't want to hear that. I, I'm going to listen to something different. I need to find my own music. So, uh, yeah, I think that's um, really cool. Um, you mentioned that as long as you can remember, you know, Bruce has kind of been in your wheelhouse. Can you remember how you first discovered Bruce? Um, my brother had a, so I was born in 74, uh, my brother had a, uh, Dodge Duster <laughs> when he was in high school and he would drive around town, listen to a lot of music. We would, uh, we lived in Alton, Illinois, which is a old historic, um, town on the Mississippi River, about 20 miles north of St. Louis. And there's something called the Great River Road, which is just a highway that runs in between. There's bluffs on the east of uh, east side and then the river is on the west side so you can drive that stretch of highway for 30 miles and it's one of the big things to do down there it's for as far as sightseeing and just uh, you know watching the river and the sun glowing off the river at sunset and in the morning at sunrise and uh, you know he'd be playing bruce I, I can remember very clearly him playing the river and darkness and of course born in usa when it came out in 84 um, so it's always just kind of been there. I remember very clearly his cassette tape. He'd have a copy of The River with Bruce in his uh, plaid uh, work shirt there by his console all the time in his car. Okay, very nice. Can you remember what about it made you just spoke to you? Why? Um, you know, being younger... I think it was the fact that my brother liked him. I obviously looked up to my brother, so I was kind of just absorbing what he was listening to and uh, trying to follow in his footsteps. Probably, you know, born in the USA is when I can, you know, fully have conscious thoughts of my own feelings. And, you know, of course, being a 10-year-old kid, like how much of this can you possibly understand when he's de when Bruce is dealing with such adult issues like marriage and uh, you know, work and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of came into the Bruce world at a later point in time than a lot of people did. But I remember very clearly, you know, seeing Dancing in the Dark video, Born USA video. Um, so maybe looking back on it, I mean, I haven't spent a lot of time on my first initial impressions of him as a as a child. But seeing those videos over and over and over again, you know, probably just ingrained that in my mind of what a great performer he was um just the power of the music the power of his voice how much energy he was putting into it you know when you watch the born usa video now you can see the muscles and the veins on his neck popping out as he's singing it was like as a 10 year old it's like oh my god there's this guy that cares this much about you know whatever it was he was singing at the time even though i may not have understood what it was he was singing about um just the fact that somebody that strongly about <laughs> what they were doing. You know, I, I can imagine. Um, I was. I graduated high school in '77, and um, so much older than you. But there is that. There are still Bruce Springsteen songs that I don't feel I've understood. Till um, as I've gotten older, um, yeah. you know, it is that you have to have some mileage. Uh, I had a guy once on the show say that you don't really get tunnel of love till you've had your heart broken a couple of times. Uh, yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. 
I can attest to that. Uh, the last, um, uh, I'm going through a divorce, and it's at the tail end of it, but it's been a very long, difficult process. It's been going on for almost three years now. I have two kids, 14 and 12, um, loves of my life. But um, you know, yeah. I've been going through that for the last three years, and, you know, ironically enough, if it's a coincidence that, you know, the river comes up. And to be honest with you, the river up until three years ago was pretty much at the bottom, not at the total bottom of my list, but it was definitely in the bottom third of Bruce's albums that I liked myself, would listen to. I, You know, the river, of course, and some of the other songs I knew listen to all the time but um as far as straight through it's probably one of the album that i probably hadn't listened to straight through uh up until that point in time when the box set came out and the tour started but so much of what bruce was talking about on that album <coughs> and what he was doing on the tour the original tour and what he did on the box set tour was just astounding to me as you know here's a guy that at 30 years of age having none you know, not not experienced being married, not experienced, um, you know, being divorced. You know, he's writing about what happens when you go through these things. And that song, Stolen Car, you know, just stood out to me so much um, during those concerts that I saw on that tour that, you know, here was a guy, kid, 30 years old, writing these songs. Um, and just it just spoke to how incredible of an artist that he is, that he could live in that life, imagine that life without having actually experienced it. Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to say that the amount of times you've seen Bruce is not a fair barometer of your fandom, but for the record, do you count shows? How many times have you seen him? I would have to go back and count, but I would say 25, and honestly, 20 of those have been within the last, since the um, Magic Tour. Okay. And what I find ironic was the fact that, you know, growing up as a kid, every album that came out, starting Born in the USA, Box Set, Tunnel of Love, you know, I would buy each album, uh, uh -huh. each CD as it came out, and we'd go see one show in St. Louis at the old Checker Dome in St. Louis, which was a big arena back then at that point in time. Um, you know, so I would just see one concert every two or three years as it came out. I would listen to each album. Um, and then I kind of got away from Bruce. I got married in the early 2000s. Had a, our son was born in 2004, so I kind of drifted away a little bit. And I didn't see a show. Uh, I saw the last concert I saw was in 2000 on the reunion tour, and I didn't see another show until the Magic Show. And <laughs> looking back on it now, I was very lucky that I was at that show because it was the August 2008 show in St. Louis, which is been rated as one of the best concerts ever by many people and talked about it's been released on the um, um, nugs releases and i was at that show and just that show just blew me away and so between that uh dave marsh's book um on tour had come out recently around that time so i got that and i started i got a subscription to sirius radio and e street radio um and ever since then, like, I've saw several shows on, I think I saw show, five shows on the Wrecking Ball Tour, um, saw, you know, several shows on the River Tour, so probably 15 of those 25 or 20 of those 25 have been within the last 10 years. That's, um, yes, that is kind of cool. 
Um, you talked about how interesting and how much you loved that show in St. Louis. What about it you think wowed you so much? Um, that night, I mean, obviously every night he starts at roughly 8 o'clock, which is a half an hour past what's printed on the tickets. That night he even started a little bit later, like 8.15, 8.20, something like that. Yeah. So people were just, you know, it's just there was just all this buzz in the crowd. People were starting to get, you know, angry, chanting, uh, you know, let's go. So there was already this just giant buzz in the room. It was hot that weekend, terribly hot that weekend. You know, so it was just hot. People are built up, you know, ready to go. They're more antsy than normal because he's coming out later than normal. And then he came out and lit into um, Then She Kissed Me. And the minute he hit that note, it was just like, you know, being away for eight years, like all of a sudden here's just this huge E Street sound, like right up in your face, song, you know, that nobody was expecting him to play that night. I don't think he played that song for 30 years up until that night. And it just, from the moment they hit the stage and lit into that first note and hit that, nailed that first song, I mean, just the energy of the band, the energy of Bruce, the energy of the crowd, it just, like, went through the roof. And the whole night, you know, he just pulled out one nugget after another. He played uh, uh, Mountain of Love. He played Drive All Night. Uh, he played Little Queenie, which was just incredible. You know, every time he comes to St. Louis, there's somebody in the crowd asked for a Chuck Berry song, of course, and he played Little Queenie that night, and it just and being away from it for that long just i mean it reminded me so much of what i had you know liked all those years to some degree and what i had missed during that time and just how great the music was yeah i that's wow that's that's really um you know i'm looking at the show uh, right now and it is a great show um and so you kind of rediscovered you're the Bruce magic. Yes, absolutely. And and I also um, and this seems naive, but um, it's like a switch went off in my head that oh, I don't have to just because I live in Dallas. I can go to other cities to see Bruce, you know, <laughs> you know, I, cause I was always like, well, he's not coming anywhere close. And, and right. all of a sudden it's like, Oh wait. And Oh, I could go to one more show. I can go to more than a, one show, a tour. Oh, yep. okay. Um, uh, we, we talked about before I hit record, I've got a new boss and he was, um, he told me today, he says, I had friends over Friday night. And we were talking about you, and I said, "Oh, were you <laughs> were you saying I was?" He said, "Yeah, we we mentioned that you had seen Bruce Springsteen sixteen times," and I'm like, "And did they think I was weird?" And he said, "Well, I'd already <laughs> established that before I started telling the story." He said, "But yes, they all thought that that was a little weird," and, and then he said, "And we all thought that." Um, John Mellencamp and Billy Joel were more iconic than Bruce. So I guess I had about 10 people in my um, house that you would say I was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, I mean, you know, not to argue with my boss, but yes, I would tell you that, you know, I, yes, I would say you were wrong. (laughs) 
uh, so yeah, I you know, and um, I was explaining to him that I said it isn't as weird as you think it is because you know every Bruce show is unique. So um, th- that's the reason why we do this. So, um, yeah, he's kind of looking at me a little bit weird, like, I don't know about this guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a very common uh, thought uh, amongst friends that I have that are non-Bruce fans and uh, yeah. you know don't really know his music, don't really know him. Um, I can tell you that, you know, I've probably seen, outside of Bruce, I've probably seen Mellencamp five or six times. He does a great show. Uh, he does vary his set list quite a bit, like Bruce does. He changes the arrangements. And I'll tell you one thing. One night I saw John Mellencamp, Willie Nelson, and Bob Dylan on a three-way ticket package at a minor league ballpark. And it was a funky bunch of people. You know, It was like Willie played first. He came on. People went nuts. Kind of a lot of those fans left. Uh John came on and like a whole new set of fans filtered through and he played for roughly two hours and he did not play Jack and Diane that night and people were pissed when he Mm -hmm. walked off that stage and didn't come back and play Jack and Diane. I mean, that would be akin to Bruce not playing Born to Run in my mind. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John also varies. Like one night I saw him a couple years later again in St. Louis and he, you know, drastically changed the arrangement of Jack and Diane to like a slow country waltz and it was like it took me a few bars to realize what he was singing. Um so I've seen John quite a bit. I've seen some other artists, you know, multiple times, but Bruce is the only one who he just buries the set list so much and each concert is an experience based on what he plays, what kind of mood the band's in, what kind of energy the band has, the crowd. Uh, just different things, and there's no other band out there that does what he does. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I have not seen Mellencamp. I've seen Billy Joel multiple times, and enjoyed it. I, you know, I've seen other people, um, you know, and I especially like a chance um, when you see people. In a casual setting, um, you know, I've seen John Hyatt multiple times, and he always puts on a good show. So, um, yeah, it, there is that, but there's just something about Bruce that kind of makes you, um, you know, you kind of feel, you know, I always say it's the happiest place on earth. Um, and there's just, there's something about this feeling of togetherness and love that you're there in the room hearing all these songs um yeah any other um uh, other live shows that stand out to you that you may want to talk about um yeah back to your original point uh you know working on a dream and especially the wrecking ball tour the first tours that i went to see multiple shows in multiple locations um, had the chance to see him twice in Philadelphia, thanks to my good friend Sean Poole. Uh, saw him in Louisville, Chicago, St. Louis. And then, um, you know, so back to your point, you know, the idea that you can go see him multiple times in multiple places uh, was just like a, just a, you know, a new thing to me, a new concept. Oh, I'm actually going to travel and go see this person. And seeing that show in Philadelphia on the Wrecking Ball Tour, like, 
you know, Midwesterns, Midwesterners are pretty laid back. You know, that's kind of our uh, thing. But when I saw that show in Philly, that was like the first concert I'd been to of anybody's, much less Bruce, where, like, the crowd was into it so much from just the first note to the last note. Like, there was no let up from the crowd or the band itself. So just seeing that difference, uh, you know, and making that journey out there opened my eyes to what more he can do. Um, I would say I would say that St. Louis show is uh, at the top of my list, followed secondly by last year, uh, not last year, geez, two years ago now, September 7th, uh, 2016, in Philadelphia at Citizens Bank Park. Um, a couple things that night. That was the first time that I'd been in the pit, and it was a huge pit. It was not your typical pit that you'll see at the arena shows. I mean, there was probably five, 6,000 people in that pit that night. But, so there was that. First time doing the pit process, getting the wristband, standing out in the line. Uh, that was just an awesome experience just to be around that many serious hardcore fans and just hear what everybody's talking about, meeting new people. Uh, there was tailgate party going on with uh, Philly Elvis, our good friend Philly uh, Philly Elvis, Nick for Nick Yes. And uh, so first time in the pit, first time going through that process, and then I had several friends. You know, E Street uh, Radio has been such a blessing to me uh, in the last, you know, 10 years of my life. I've been able to meet uh, so many great people, including yourself, you know, because of E Street Radio, Sean Poole, Jeanette, um, Tracy Thomas out in, Chica- in uh, Montana, Judy here in Chicago. But there's just so many people, and that night, you know, Tracy came from Montana, Bill came from Massachusetts, Jeanette was there, Sean Poole was there, Carmen was there, you know, there was like eight of us that were just like, uh, uh, sorry, Dr. Deb from New Mexico was there that night, sorry, Dr. Deb, she'll kill me if she, yeah. if she in there. <laughs> yes. Um, but anyway, you know, there's like a, I think there was eight of us, uh, Debbie from New Mexico was there as well, Debbie Gonzalez was there, so there was like a core group of like ten people that were there, had come from all points of the country, I had just driven, you know, I drove from Chicago to the show, went right to the uh, stadium. Um, so there was just a hardcore group of fans there. Being in the, in the pit the first time, you know, Bruce came out. You know, of course, he that was, uh, I think that's the four-hour mark, you know, the first time he had gone that long in, in the United States up until that point in time. It just an incredible show because, you know, I'd seen five shows on the River Tour, and, um, you know, the first four were pretty much set with Beat Me in the City and then right into, you know, his little dialogue and the album from start to finish. And then, you know, the last 15 songs were kind of, quote, unquote, greatest hits type, you know, songs for the most yeah. part. He'd bury them up a little bit, but it was Born to Run, Dancing in the Dark, you know, pretty much the same concert from start to finish. And then that night in Philadelphia, I mean, again, it was incredibly hot. People are, you know, all abuzz. He comes out in the intensity of his guitar playing and Steve's guitar playing and Max on the drums and Nils. I mean, it was just nuts that night. And, you know, he buried it because they broke it up, and I think they maybe played five or six songs from the river that night. But it really turned into what I'm looking back at now is kind of like the book tour and the fact that he played Greetings. I think he played all but two songs from Greetings, and I think he may have played all but one song from Wild and the Innocent that night. So it was like all these songs that I had never really heard before um, live in that atmosphere with the intensity that the band was in. Like he was just having a great night that night. And he did the whole cape thing where he like walked off the stage and Steve was like, you know, waving the crowd on and fans were going nuts. And then Steve put the cape on him and all that stuff. Like it was just, 
it was through the roof. So that's probably my second favorite concert. That's very cool. You know, I um, I went to uh, five shows on the river, four um, before he went to Europe and, you know, changed things up. Um, and then I was lucky enough in August to see a show in Jersey and um, and kind of got to go then on, um, you know, the tour and um, – where, you know, Stan's tour, and so I got to kind of see how everything's going. And um, there was this joy of that whole tour. And I think part of it is the, um, you know, this was the tour that wasn't supposed to happen. And then when you find out it does, there's just something really special about seeing them, and and so yeah, I I totally agree. Um, Absolutely, the way that whole tour came about, it was so funny. I don't know if you were listening or you heard the call, but um, I don't think they even started on the tour yet. And all of a sudden, I'm listening to E Street Nation on one morning, Wednesday morning, and all of a sudden, Jim says, "Oh, Bruce from New Jersey's on hold. Let's see what that's about." And they were like laughing about it, and lo and yeah. behold, it was. Bruce Springsteen calling into E Street Nation to basically explain, you know, how this came about. And, you know, they came up with the idea of the box set with no intention of doing any shows. And John called him and said, hey, you know, if we're going to do all this, why don't we, like, do one or two shows in New York? Mm, okay, well, that sounds good. But if we're going to do that, why don't we do 20 shows? And if we're going to do 20 shows, why don't we do 40 shows? And then, you know, 200 shows later, it just goes to show you that you never, even those very close to him, have no idea what he's going to pull out of his hat next. Because two years ago, um, John was quoted in Rolling Stone saying that, you know, once the River Tour is done, the next project is going to be the album that he kind of put on hold during Wrecking Ball, and it's going to come out. Well, you know, that's what his own manager thought he was going to do, and here he comes out with a book and doing Broadway for, you know, a year and a half. So, it's just amazing how he keeps himself uh, involved, wanting to grow as an artist, uh, you know, not being afraid to pull the plug on something and just switch gears. And uh, I don't think there's anybody out there, maybe besides Paul McCartney, who's you know at this point in his career and does these types of things that he does. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It is just you're kind of like, wow, and. Um... And it did feel like, um, you know, such a blessing that we got this. Um, and were you able to go to Broadway? I, I was. I was very fortunate. The first uh, round of tickets came out. I got two tickets, and me and my friend Jim Rosher from San Francisco went. Um, that was in November of um, last year. And then I was one of those lucky people that won uh, free tickets for the E-Street Radio giveaway back in March. And um, <laughs> it's a great story on how I even won the tickets. Oh, no, yeah, tell me. Okay. So the deal was they came out with this contest where um, basically Sirius Radio came to Bruce and said, hey, we want to buy the house for one night, and we're going to fill it with fans. Um, and he said, that sounds great to me. I love the fans. Let's let's do it. And uh, part of the deal was E Street Radio was 
giving away some of the tickets, and for three weeks, they had the album of the day, and you had to be the 20th caller. Uh, they did it twice, once in the morning, once in the afternoon. You had to be the 20th caller, and of course, it's a madhouse. People are, you know, lighting up the phones. They're listening to the East Street Radio all the time, waiting for that. So the deal was, they pick an album of the day, and if you heard. Uh, a song from that album of the day that wasn't a live track, it had to be the so the uh, studio recording, you'd call in, you'd be the 20th caller. Well, this starts on Monday morning, of course, and trying to call in, and I'm not even getting through, getting busy signals, uh, you know, phone not going through, messages, everything. So I do this for two weeks, twice a day, at the risk of my job, which I'm very fortunate to have the job I have, which is a virtual position, so I can kind of run my own schedule, but anyway, so I tried that solid for two and a half weeks, and I was finally just tired of it, I'm like, I'm tired of calling all the time, I'm tired of listening, I got I got stuff, I got a life, you know, they got to live outside of this, Yeah, this is crazy, if people knew how many times I'd called, they'd think I was need to be checked into a psychiatric ward, um, so it's Wednesday of the final week, and the album of the day is Ghost of Tom Joad, well, it's, I listened in the morning, couldn't get through. So it's in the afternoon, it's like 4 o'clock, i got to go get my kids, and i got to go to the grocery store. And we're driving, I'm kind of like meandering around town, trying to kill some time, waiting for a song to come on, nothing. And I'm like, it's, this is nuts, I'm done with this, i, I got to go. So i got my 14-year-old son, Graham, in the car with me, i got my 12-year-old daughter, Rory, with me, and uh, we pull into the grocery store, and my son's old enough. I said, hey, Graham, I'm going to go into the grocery store with Rory, I will need you to listen to I'm going to leave the car on. I've got it on E Street Radio. And every time there's a song playing, you got to look at the song and call me and tell me what it is. Okay, Dad, I can do that. And any 14-year-old kid could have easily gotten distracted, playing on his phone, called somebody, texting, playing games, like whatever. I mean, yeah, exactly. He could have got distracted. So I'm going through the grocery store, and then when I got out of the car... Uh, pretty uh, eight-minute version of Pretty Flamingo comes on. I knew exactly what version it was. I was like, hey, this song's on now. It's going to last for about eight minutes, but then they're going to play a new song, and when they do, you got to call me. Okay, Dad, I got it. So I'm pushing the cart through the uh, you know, aisles up and down, getting the groceries. Daughter's with me, and uh, two minutes in, Graham calls me. Hey, Dad, uh, no surrender. Nope, not it. Call me back. So we keep going five minutes later. Uh, Sandy, 4th of July, nope, not it, call me back. So he's doing this, like he's, the fact that he actually did it, I mean, it was the whole key to this whole thing, but uh, he calls me again, it's another song, nope. So I go through the aisle, and I go to the checkout counter, and I've got all the groceries on the conveyor belt, and she's checking me out, and uh, just as she's getting ready to finish punching in, he calls me and says, ghost of something? And I'm like, I gotta go! So I call, I hang up on him. I called the number immediately, and I get through. Uh, your caller five. Thanks for calling. Click. I'm like, oh my god, this is the first time I've gotten through after calling like 500 times, and I'm the fifth caller. I couldn't believe it. So I'm checking out. I'm trying to like, I hate to be that person that goes into a store or something that's trying to pay like while they're on their phone. But I'm like, I gotta do this. So I'm paying. I hit redial. And as after I pay, I, like, walk away from the counter, and uh, answer, somebody answers the phone. Hello? Hello? Who is this? Ryan Hillegas. Um, well, 
you're the 20th caller. Like, there was no, hello, this is E Street Rodeo. You won the contest. It was just a very cold, methodical, you're the 20th caller. Who is this? Are you an East, are you a, you know, serious radio subscriber? Yes, 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 yes. I could not believe it. And then when she finally hit home that I was the 20th caller and was going to get, you know, two free tickets to go, I just lost it. And after I, I took care of whatever they asked me on the phone and my daughter's sitting over, like, in the coffee shop looking at me and I'm, like, jumping up and down as I'm talking on the person on the phone and I'm, like, pointing at my phone like, I won, I won, I won, because they knew, like, how important it was to me. Sure. And um, so that's how I got the tickets. And then um, – so I asked my brother, you know, of course, after everything we've talked about here, I, uh, my brother had to go with me, had to be the one to be there with me on that special night. So I asked him, and the crazy thing was he had a vacation plan with his wife to drive down to Florida like the night before that. And uh, so he did that, but then he drove all night, got his wife to Pensacola, Florida, drove to the airport, got on the plane, and flew to New York to meet me <laughs> that night. Of course. And he was late getting there, you know, he's traveling far distance, he's late getting there, a couple of delays, you know, layovers, and uh, I don't know if we were the last ones through, but we were pretty close to the very end, and I walk up, you know, you had to go through security, mm-hmm. East Street Radio's got their booth there, I talked to Jim for a few minutes, and then uh, me and my brother walked through security and walked up to the table where they're handing out tickets, and the guy handed me two tickets, and I looked down, and I see row A, and I'm like... Okay, that's got to be up in the balcony, mezzanine. I don't care. Like, I'm just happy to be there. Yeah. Now, let's get in there. So we get in there. I go get uh, you know a beer at the uh, stand. With the got to get the Bruce uh, on Broadway adult sippy cup, as we like to call it. Yeah, I was Uh-oh. so mad. I did not buy that. I planned to buy it <laughs> afterwards, and um, you know, and and um, because I, because I, I knew I'd have to get up and pee. And I'm like, there's not doing, I'm not drinking anything at all, um, you know, and so I didn't get it. And now that I'm just bitter that I don't have the adult <laughs> sippy cup. But anyway, continue. So we get in the doors, and like they said, like, there's very little lobby. Like, there's a tiny lobby, you walk right through the doors, and yeah. boom, there you are. There's the seats, which I was just shocked at the first time I went. Like, they weren't kidding. There's no lobby in there. Exactly. Um, so we walk in, go get our beer, kind of looking around, and... Uh, show the tickets to the usher thinking that we're going to walk upstairs. He's like, Oh, these are good seats. And I'm like, okay, he's being sarcastic here. Typical New Yorker. Right. And uh, we start walking down the aisle and we kind of keep getting closer. And I'm like, uh, okay, what's going on here? And then I look and right in front of the mic in the first row are two empty seats. Cause the house was full by that point in time, you know, it was pretty close to showtime. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And lo and behold, could not believe it. We had, Two front row seats, right in front, dead center, right in front of the mic. Oh, that is so awesome! That so is. I, we're sitting there, and I'm like, I'm just like take, trying to take this in. Like that's, you know, the stage is right there. I'm looking at everything on the stage, and I kind of turn around and I look up in the mezzanine and balcony, and uh, our, some of our good friends, uh, Tracy and uh, Fred and Pam, were up there, and they're waving. They couldn't believe I was sitting there either. They're waving at me, and I'm waving back, and. I turn around and all of a sudden I see this really tall guy standing over to the left talking to somebody and there's Howard Stern and oh my God there's uh, Robin and there's uh, uh, Lee Schreiber and Steve Colbert was there and Ricky Gervais was there and, and they're like kind of looking at me like who the fuck is, you know who who is this guy you know he's sitting in the front yeah. row who is this guy that so is it was just awesome 
it was a great way to win. Like, you know, the chances of me winning those tickets the way I did was just crazy. And then, of course, getting the two front row seats was just incredible. And I tell you what, like I saw the show the first time, and it wasn't, you know, there's no bad seats in the house. There's only 900 seats in the, in the house, so it's not a bad seat. No. And the first time I saw him was about 15 rows back, pretty much dead center in front of the mic. And, um, you know, it was an incredible experience. But seeing him that close, sitting in that front row, like added a whole new dimension to the uh, experience of just like seeing the, you know, facial expressions and seeing as he would close his eyes while he was singing and talking sometimes. You could just see his eyes, you know, rolling around underneath his eyelids and the way the lighting was shining on him. It was, it was just an incredible experience. Oh, it sounds like it. That's awesome. What a great story. Hey, um. Show? What. What are are there any songs you're chasing that when he's out on uh, tour again that you haven't got to see that you want to see? I would love to see. I have not heard. Um, my first concert was when I was 10 years old. My brother did take me to see the Born USA Arena Tour, not the stadium tour, but the arena tour. Um, but I have no really memory of that other than just being at a show and all that you know excitement. Yeah. So I'd love to hear Born USA. Full, I've, you know, I've heard it acoustically, obviously, at a uh, Broadway show. I'd love to hear the full band version of Born USA, Pink Cadillac, um, and Follow That Dream, which is, um, you know, of course, uh, Elvis Presley song that he kind of redid and as, his, as a tribute to Elvis. And uh, it's very obscure. He doesn't play it very often, but I'd love to hear that. Oh, that would be a good one. Um, you know, uh, I had a, somebody once say that um, you – you're wasting one of your wish lists on a cover. I'm like, yeah, because I would love to hear Jolie Blanc. I just love that version of it. So, you know, um, it, yeah, there, you know, you love what you love. And I agree that follow that dream. Oh, that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. So, well, very cool. Um, so, um, what um any final thoughts or you know any uh else you oh merry question We've got to ask you the merry question so um as you may have heard if you've listened to the show a couple of times uh jay was on the show a while back and he teaches honors english and they have a chapter they devote on thunder road and he teaches it as if a poem uh similar to um, the um, Road Less Traveled. And so, and at the end of the lesson, he asked his students, does Mary get in the car? So that's your question. Um, what do you believe? Um, I believe she does get in the car. Um, you know, he said that Born to Run was, uh, you know, one wild night. Uh, in his imagination, one wild night between this couple and some of the characters that are in there. And, you know, he even talked about the album cover and how, you know, it was something that you opened up, like you were opening up an invitation. An invitation to what? He didn't know. That's what he said on VHM1 Storytellers. So I do believe she does get in the car. And the reason I say that is I mean, it's not very clear. Uh, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and there, there is no right answer. But in my mind, she does get in the car. Uh, you know, because back on the uh, Amnesty Tour, he did the slowed-down version of Born to Run. 
and um, you know he had a long dialogue going into that song about he'd been singing the song for ten years and all the different meanings it had to him over the years, and you know he talked about how Born to Run was them getting away from something, getting away from their you know hopes and dreams that had been smashed, or getting away from the town or their parents that they didn't like, and you know the key to that was well, what are you getting away from? And eventually, those characters that started in Born to Run and go through all of his albums from that point in time, you know, a, a real point of his work, I think, is how you are part of your community, how you're part of your family and your friends, and the relationships you build and the love that you create. And I think she does get in the car, and you'll see that same Mary pop up in many different songs and many different albums over the years. and. Um, again, it's about, you know, yes, those characters were trying to run from something, but they returned and made a life for themselves and wasn't always a great life, but they tried their best to do what they could with what they had. I think that is the right answer. Good job, sir. Um, okay, final thoughts, Ryan? Um, just overall, I mean, Bruce is, I think, the reason why we and you know, this is, this is what people don't ex understand outside of the world if they don't, you know, go to a concert and they don't listen to the music and they don't understand why we think the way we do. Um, I think Bruce just overall speaks to, you know, me personally, I'm a huge Elvis Presley fan. I've talked and written a lot about the connections between Elvis and Bruce, you know, in music and life. And, you know, Elvis Presley grew up as a purely, you know, truly poor, poor um, person basically, you know, lived in Tupelo, Mississippi. Their family was dirt poor. His dad went to prison for, you know, changing a check from $4 to $40. Um, you know, they lived a very hard life. Elvis's family lived on the black side of town and, you know, in an era of segregation, which speaks volumes to, like, how truly poor and humble their beginnings were. And Elvis, you know, lived that, quote-unquote, American dream of, um, you know, going from where he was to what he had throughout his life and what he had in the end, you know, in addition to what he did for popular music and rock and roll music, you know, the story of his life and the arc of his life just has so many meanings, and Bruce fits right into that with, you know, his own very humble beginnings, and he kind of lived that same life, and what I always uh, love about it is... You know, Bruce looked to Elvis for, you know, musical inspiration, for uh, performing inspiration, and, um, you know, he learned what to do in music and what to do in life, and as we all know, Elvis died a very tragic, uh, you know, self-imposed uh, death, and Elvis, uh, sorry, Bruce looked to that as well as, you know, what are the things I want to do like Elvis and what are the things I don't want to do like Elvis did, and Bruce has been able to learn that lesson and grow as an artist. Uh, Elvis had nobody as far as, you know, a, a manager that he could trust, uh, musical partners that he could, you know, talk to and work with on a regular basis. Bruce has surrounded himself with John Landau and Steve Van Zandt and Tom Zimney and all these different people throughout his career, and I think he learned a great lesson from the death of Elvis in how he's uh, continued on in his career, and I think that speaks directly to how long he's been able to do it. 
um, and all the branches that he's gone, the musical styles, the albums, what he's doing now on Broadway. Um, I just think overall Bruce is able to absorb all of his influences that he had as a kid, you know, over the last 60 years of his life uh, and make it his own in a way that's truly a reflection of America overall. And, uh, you know, there's not just American music, there's fans in Europe and Scandinavia and everywhere else that love them. And, you know, those tours, from what I hear, those concerts are, you know, speak volumes of how much more or more intense that they are over there. And there's a reason for that. I think a lot of those fans look to Bruce as an extension of what rock and roll started out as, what it became and what it could be going forward. Well said, sir. I agree. I think I'm going to have you back on um soon and we'll talk about elvis we'll do an elvis uh episode um elvis was important in my house at all my father was not an elvis fan but um you know my mom was and the um you know the growing up with that kind of um being from louisiana and that southern roots um, I think it'd be a good discussion. I also thought it was very interesting. Um, after reading Bruce's autobiography, he recommends to go read Mike's book for his version. And so I did. And there is a a slant to that that tries to put um, Landau in the same position as Colonel Parker. And um, that was very um, – I, I, I found it off-putting. But I also thought it's it's a worth a discussion. So why don't we have you back in a month or so, and we'll talk about that. How's it sound? That's great. And I would just conclude with the fact that, you know, Bruce is famously quoted saying that Mike thought he was the colonel and I was Elvis. But, you know, he's not the colonel and I'm not Elvis. And uh, yeah. I agree with your opinion. I haven't read that, but that I agree with your opinion. And I, I think the uh, Elvis and Bruce topic would be a great episode. So I agree. So we will set that up. Um, if you want to join me and talk about um, your Springsteen story, uh, reach out to me at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at Set Lusting Bruce. We have a Facebook page, Set Lusting Bruce. We'd love for you to go like that. And if you have the opportunity, please, please go to iTunes to rate and review the podcast. We are at currently at 50 ratings. Um, would love for you to subscribe. Give me a hopefully five-star rating because there's um, – there are a lot of podcasts out there, and when people look for Springsteen podcasts, the more ratings you have, the more often it is going to show up. Ryan, you have a blog, do you not? I do. Uh, I've written quite a bit. Uh, my blog is in uh, Union Avenue 706 at WordPress.com. Uh, the Union Avenue 706 comes from the fact that that's the address of Sun Studios in Memphis where um, you know so much of uh, rock and roll and uh, popular modern music comes from. Uh, so that's the title of my blog, Union Avenue 706 at WordPress.com. Written quite a bit about uh, Bruce and Elvis and Chuck Berry and a lot of other stuff. Um, so check it out. Sounds good. All right. For now, we're going to end with if your heart is restless from waiting so long, if you're tired and weary and you can't go on, if a distant dream is calling you, 
there's just one thing you can do. Follow that dream wherever it may lead. Come on, follow that dream to find the love you need. Come on, follow that dream. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, sir. And we'll talk to you soon. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.